The Koffler Gallery is proud to present the world premiere of a heart-wrenching and fascinating exhibition, The Synagogue at Babinyar, Turning the Nightmares of Evil into a Shared Dream of Good. Opening on the eve of Yom HaShoah, April 17th, and running until November, the multidisciplinary exhibition tells the bittersweet story of the Babinyar Synagogue, which stands on the grounds of the first large-scale massacre of the Holocaust in 1941. Experience the full historical, political, artistic, and spiritual context of this incredible monument for the first time. The exhibition is free of charge. To learn more, visit KofflerArts.org. We've revolutionized how the law worked with people my parents. They were the happiest people I knew. People told me that's not common in a Holocaust survivor's home. So both of them gave me the confidence to be fearless. But I wasn't playing to a crowd. I had one judge and it was in here. That's a clip from the new documentary about the Honorable Rosalie Silberman Abella, the recently retired Canadian Supreme Court Justice. When she was appointed nearly 20 years ago, she was the first Jewish woman to hold the post and the first refugee. She was born in a displaced persons camp in Germany after her parents survived the Holocaust. Abella was a trailblazer for women in so many ways, starting in 1976 when she was 29 and pregnant and named as the youngest ever judge to Ontario's family court and the first Jewish woman. She later sat on the Ontario Court of Appeal, and then in 2004, she was appointed to the highest court in Canada. Her rulings pushed the country to be a more socially just society. Everybody is different, so if you want equality, you don't do equal treatment. You acknowledge and accommodate their differences. She helped establish rights for same-sex married couples. She protected the right to strike. She supported gender equality and opened more opportunities for minorities to find employment. There was no such concept as judicial activism. We don't have polls that tell us what people think. That's our job, to risk being unpopular in order to do the right thing. When she turned 75 in 2021, she stepped down due to Canada's mandatory retirement age for Supreme Court justices. Initially, she was uncomfortable with letting anyone make a movie about her. She changed her mind only because her late husband, Professor Irving Abella, convinced her it would be a good idea. The new documentary is called Without Precedent, The Supreme Life of Rosalie Abella. It had its world premiere this week at the Hot Docs Festival in Toronto. And I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, May the 3rd, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News Sponsored by Metropia. The life and career of Rosalie Abella have a particularly special meaning for me because just as she set a benchmark for Jewish women in the Canadian judicial system, the pathway for Jews there was set by my grandfather, the late Mr. Justice Abraham Leaf, a dozen years before her first job at family court. Papa was the first Jewish judge ever appointed to Ontario's Supreme Court in 1963, and Rosalie Abella certainly knew him and followed his decisions. They call him the father of Ontario family law, and they both went to the same synagogue, Beth Tzedek, in Toronto. He would have loved to see this film, although he passed away many years ago. 
Justice Abella wasn't giving interviews ahead of the premiere this week at Hot Docs, but the film's director, Barry Average, was, and he joins me now. Thrilled to be here. Well, it's great to meet you. Congratulations on the film. Now, I want to know how the idea for this percolated in your mind to get her to be the subject of a documentary. How long did you work on this? Well, uh, Rosalie Abella is somebody that is uh, a uh, this brilliant character that's uh, a blend of Hollywood, Broadway, and, you know, Aaron Sorkin in a lot of ways of the best legal dramas ever. So it was it was always something that I thought about. I This is really part of a, a trilogy in a lot of ways. I made a film called An Unlikely Obsession based on Sir Martin Gilbert's book, um, uh, Churchill and the Jews, then did a film called Prosecuting Evil on Ben Ferenz, who just passed away it's last like week. Condolences. I know you were very close to the family. I was going to mention that. Thank you. Uh, and uh, and and Rosalie Abella is interviewed in the Ben Ferenz film, uh, and having gone to her office to Supreme Court and filmed her for that, and you know she fills a frame. Uh, so uh, you know we just started talking about this project, and Rosalie is so self-deprecating in a lot of ways and said, who would be interested? And I said, well, I don't know who'd be interested, but I would. And so off we went and and got very lucky in a lot of ways. I mean, it was still COVID um, and uh, we were able to get into the Supreme Court building in the final days of, of um, her sitting on the bench and capture her emotions in those last few days uh, and then uh, continue on. And also the, the film is extraordinarily emotional because it's not only the story of her life, but it's a love story as well uh, between her and and uh, and her late uh, husband, Irving Abella, great author. Of course, none, none is too many and Canadian Jewish Congress president. But you had to navigate the interviewing with him as he was quite ill and towards the end of his life. It was very gentle how you did that in the film. I appreciated that. Well, to me, you know, ha- having living with, it, uh, you know, an aging parent who's not well, um, I, I was very sensitive to that. I had no idea at the filming of how ill Irving was. I don't think anybody really did. Uh, I think everybody was extraordinarily hopeful. But, you know, Rosie understood that I saw this film through the lens of an extraordinary love story and that Irving had to be very much part of it. If you look at the poster of the film and your audience will look at the poster of the film, it's the two of them. Uh, it's him holding this light up as she's being photographed in front of the Supreme Court building. And it's a magnificent sort of Harry Met Sally story as well. And so uh, it was critical for me to film them, film the two of them sitting on a couch talking about their love story and how they met. And then, of course, in a heartbreaking way, going back to capture Rosie's emotions after Irving had passed. Uh, and it's, it's you know, if anybody's lost a significant other uh, or, uh, you know, or a parent, it's uh, very poignant. I was crying in the screening and uh, I'm sure you're, you'll, you'll have that. Lots of Kleenex pulled out. But in the film, and other people have said this as well, she's been described, quote unquote, as Canada's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But she's uncomfortable a little bit with that description. Do you think that that is a fair description? And then how did she react to it in the film? Well, look, I, I think comparing Rosalie Abella to an icon uh, or to another icon uh, and to somebody that's been um, historically significant is appropriate. Uh, but they are very different people. And I think Rosalie always felt that she's her own person, that their politics were different, but they're both extraordinary 
pioneering women um, and historical, historically significant women. Uh, the line stops there. Uh, I don't think it's a terrible thing to say that that she's Canada's Ruth Bader Ginsburg because Supreme Court judges are not famous in Canada. So it gives people in a country where we don't like other people being too famous uh, uh, a, a an understanding of significance. So I'm kind of okay with it. Um, she doesn't love it, but the film is not about RBG. Uh, it's about RSA, uh, and, uh, and that's okay. And we should say her, her her maiden name with Silberman. That's the RSA, yes. Well, because they're not really supposed to talk and they're supposed to stay out of the public eye. It's a whole different mentality in Canada than it is in the United States. But now she's talking and she's out of the, the uh, not official secrets, but, you know, the court secrecy type that she had to follow. Yeah, I mean, she's not one to comment on cases. I mean, we go through a couple of critical rulings in the film uh, you know, what I do think, and when you make the point of, she, you know, Supreme Court judges aren't supposed to be in the public eye or talk about things, I think that goes for all Canadians. Nobody wants Canadians to be, you know, famous. They have an issue with that. It's okay if you've gone to the United States to become famous, but while you're staying in Canada, eh. and so then when you add, you know, Supreme Court layer in, it's a whole different thing. Uh, I, I think the, the the most fabulous thing in in her you know, leaving the court when she did at her age and her extraordinarily uh, uh, bandwidth of intelligence is that she's now teaching internationally. Uh, and that's spectacular. So to get have Harvard law students and Stanford and wherever else she'll teach, who knows, Oxford, to get the Canadian perspective of what's worked here, to get her brain looking at situations that aren't necessarily Canadian based, but has worked is fantastic. The interesting thing is that she's a rock star outside of Canada, but we in Canada didn't really know about that here. I mean, she had protests for some of the you know decisions that she made. Uh, who gets protests as a judge? This is an American thing where they have, you know, at the mall that they, they, they protest against abortion repeal. But here we don't do things like that. And so she caused those uh, with her controversial but progressive um, decisions. UJA's Walk with Israel is happening this Victoria Day, Monday, May 22nd. Join thousands of community members for the world's largest Israel Solidarity Walk, followed by an epic Israeli-themed beach party to celebrate Israel's 75th birthday. Get all the details by visiting walkwithisrael.com. This is our moment to unite as one strong and proud Jewish community, religious and secular, left and right, Jews and allies. Everyone belongs at the Walk with Israel. Register before May 19th. And if you use the promo code CJN, you can save 10% on all Walk Bundle packages. To register, visit walkwithisrael.com. Let's talk a little bit about her as her in her day-to-day life, as you just mentioned. I think people are going to freak out when they see her office, her house, and all the things, colorful things that she has, all her, and they're not chachkas, they're treasured um, gifts. And I, I want you to talk a bit about that. When you saw her office, you knew, but when you finally saw her house, how did that go over? Uh, it, it was, uh, I, I'm a person that does not like clutter. Uh, I, I like uh, a lot of clean, sterile space, uh, and um, some might say it institutionalized. Uh, if you looked around my offices, which you can't really see other than this sort of Jackson Pollock-esque painting behind me, everything is very white and gray. 
so walking into Rosalie Bella's home and certainly her office is as if she had asked Boz Lorman, um, the famed director of Moulin Rouge uh, and the greatest showman to art director home uh, and her office. It, it's a an explosion of color. Uh, it, it reminded me of, you know, being a Montrealer. We used to take my grandfather every summer to Saratoga Springs, New York. There'd be this pilgrimage in the car with pots and pans like the Beverly Hillbillies. And, and he'd move into this motel uh, with, with an efficiency, as they called it, and where he can eat kosher food and cook. But we'd stop in Lake George and there would be this this almost this carnival type thing set up where you can take tubes of paint and squeeze it on a spinning disc and get something like that behind me, uh, the splattered thing. And that's like her house and her office. It's this explosion uh, of circus-like color and objects, uh, almost like a Pee Wee Herman's house. It's, it's crazy. Did she tell you what her favorite piece was of, of other, any of that stuff that she has? She has, um, well, there's so much in there. I mean, she's got this, uh, I'm going to describe it wrong, but it, it's a it's a rowboat uh, and and uh, on water uh, and some other item. And it says row versus weight underneath. Uh, that, you know, there's all sorts of crazy things in there. She loves all of them as if they're her own family. And she has a story about everything. A lot of the stuff that she's collected with Irving. Um, and as crazy as it is, I think in her office, there was a a, a fake uh, bowl of chicken soup with a spoon in it sitting on a table. And I walked in and went, yikes. I mean, as and as a film crew coming into her house in her office, it's like, where will you put the camera? And as uh, one of her former law clerks says, wonderfully and appropriately, it's like walking into her mind. In terms of how she works and how it impacted her home life. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that she was able to raise two children, and you mentioned the love story, and her children speak about her in awe, with love. It wasn't this sort of, oh, she was never home, and she never came to any of our baseball games. Well, that was Irving's thing, that he would go to their baseball games, but whatever. She was there, despite being one of the most important 21st century people in our history. Yes. Uh, you, you, you know, when you think about her career and it, and almost the parallel is one of a show business Hollywood career, but just happens to be in law. And, and I, you know, studied a lot of these, the, the, the children of Hollywood people who, you know, who were raised by nannies and um, that was not her life. Uh, I, you know, I, I found a, almost a parallel conversation and discussion when I was doing a film about Eddie Greenspan, uh, the famous criminal attorney whose, whose wife Susie ensured that, uh, she, you know, took her kids down to have dinner with him, no matter what he was doing, what trial he was in every night so that they could see her father. And of course, uh, his daughter, Juliana Greenspan, who's now become a great criminal attorney, talks about the first time she met her father was on television when she was 10. But she's, she was kidding, of course. But I think in Rosalie Bella's case, um, she, you know, was always a mother first and just happened to have this exceptional career. But the, the kids were, never felt intimidated um, or um, or uh, uninspired uh, by her. It was the opposite. She, you know, she was uh, both parents were were really there no matter what she was doing. And that says something a lot about her. I mean, you know, it, she's the equivalent. I've said this before, but she's the equivalent of 
Bette Midler meets your grandmother meets Margaret Th- Margaret Thatcher meets Barbara Walters. I mean, it's just this extraordinary amalgam of of a great character. Now we do have to, of course, talk about her Jewish roots and her Jewish, uh, the impact of being Jewish and being the kind of Holocaust survivor's daughter that she is on her life in this film, because it's a very important part of the film. When did you learn that Rosalia Bella wanted to be a lawyer, Dafka, partly because her father couldn't practice here? Well, Rosalia Bella's family and her parents, considering the horrors they saw in losing a child, Rosalia Bella's brother, was beyond horrific, but her parents came in, came to Canada and decided that their their house, no matter what they saw, was going to be a happy home. And that's what she saw. Uh, And you see it in this rare Super 8 footage we have found. uh, And you you see the joy, uh, no matter the hardships they had coming to Canada, like many without money uh, and and, uh, without her father, who wanted to be a lawyer and a judge. Uh, himself. He, he's not able to do that. Uh, and yet there's just great joy in that home. And, and I love that. And that and you see that in her. And she could not, she would not be able to masquerade uh, or hide or camouflage that scar tissue had that been passed on by her family. It inspired her to say, I'm going to make a difference for those coming to Canada and truly do something significant. When I tried to uh, set this interview up with your team, I was hoping that we would be able to speak to her as well. And that didn't happen. And I don't know, is she not doing interviews about the film? You know, it's funny. Uh, It's a great question. Um, She's extraordinarily busy. She's teaching at Harvard as, as uh, that combination of Hollywood that I've said that she has, she's still, you know, she's not comfortable talking about herself. She did a slew of interviews when she left the bench because that she thought that would be it. And then this film came along uh, and uh, and here we go again. So she's uh, I promised her that, you know, we'll 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 take them as they come and, and, and see. It doesn't mean that she won't circle back, but it's the beginning. And the whole idea of the film is extraordinarily overwhelming for her, as it would be for anybody when you're making a documentary about their life. Uh, so uh, uh, we might get lucky. Justice Sabella isn't retiring in the full sense of the word. She's busy teaching, as you heard. And next month, she received an honorary doctorate from the University of Saskatchewan, which she can add to her collection. She has about 37 of them already. Meanwhile, this week, she was named one of the inductees to Canada's Walk of Fame for 2023, along with Connor McDavid, comedian Rick Mercer, and the cast of Degrassi. If you want to watch the film, we've put the link to buy tickets in our show notes. It's also available for streaming but it's also going to be on the CBC later this fall. It is wonderful. Do not miss it. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Scott Winnick in Toronto. And we'll end with just a little bit of Justice Abella's farewell speech on her last day of work at the Supreme Court. I had no ambition to go to any bench People like me, female, Jewish, immigrant, refugee, weren't exactly being appointed to the bench in droves. So really all I was aspiring to do when I graduated from law school with five other women was to be a really good lawyer. But if somebody wanted to make me a judge, who was I to say no to the opportunity? 
After all, immigrants live for opportunities, not entitlements. We don't think about where our career's finish line should be. Mostly, we're just grateful to have careers and the chance to contribute to the country that let us in. What we hope for when we work hard and try to contribute is respect and the chance to earn it based on who we are. Everything else is beyond imagining, but when the unimaginable presents itself, we welcome it. And I did, again and again. Thank you.